Indeed he does, and that is what we want to uh, spend a few moments talking about. Before I do, I just want to thank uh, Nathan, he was right here, I don't know where he went to, for sharing that testimony with us, and he wanted to do it. He's missing his own family's Christmas time to be here and to share his story with you. And I, I just want to say as well how thankful I am. I just was sitting here in the front row, I just got overwhelmed with just the goodness of God to look out here and to see, like, I think every chair is taken, and to enjoy this. I remember when we started these Christmas Eve services with, like, let's just get together and do something, you know, and now to have this wonderful time together, I am so profoundly thankful, uh, and am happy that I can talk with you a little bit here at the end of our, uh, end of our service here about the redemptive word. We've been celebrating this entire month of December here at Bethel, the four words, and we began with the prophetic word, and we studied some of the Old Testament prophecies that were made about this child that would come, and the circumstances of his life, and the character of his person, and that he would be born of a virgin, and that he would be born in Bethlehem, and a star would rise, and that he would bear the sins of the world, Isaiah 53 says, he would take on our transgressions, and we talked about that prophetic word. And then the next one we talked about the shocking word. And we went to Nazareth where the angel appears, Gabriel appears to Mary, who's just a teenage girl, and says, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And she asked the most obvious question that has ever been asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said that God would do it. And indeed, God did, forever making it clear that salvation is not a man thing. It is a God thing. And then last week we talked about, uh, we talked about the angelic word and those angels that appeared to the shepherds and made the announcement that there's been a baby born right over there in Bethlehem and you need to go check it out because he is the savior of the world. And so we studied that uh, angelic word and what it has to say to us about salvation. And now today, this afternoon, the redemptive word, and this is, I think, the most important of uh, the four, and one that I hope that all of us here contemplate. The reason I say that is that this is something that all of us are in need of. We all need this gospel, this truth. As G.K. Chesterton said, uh, when answering the question, what's the problem with the world? He said, the problem with the world is me, is me. So as long as Christmas is sort of this theoretical thing out there and this whole thing we're talking about, it's really not going to make much of a difference in our lives. But this is something that was intended from the beginning to mean transformation and redemption. So we're going back in the story to Matthew chapter 1. I'd say turn in your Bibles, but you all can't see anything anyway. (laughs) So we have it on the screen, what we're going to be studying. It's just one verse, but here's here's the situation. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And... As I just got done talking about, the angel says to Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Well, Mary has to go to Joseph and tell her that she's pregnant. Uh, And so she does. And of course, Joseph, like any normal man, found this to be a rather hard thing to believe. You're pregnant and God did it. Okay. And in his mind, had decided that he was going to end the relationship. When an angel appeared to him now and said to him, Listen, what Mary told you is true. You need to marry her 
And then he goes on to say these words right here. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, let's begin with the name. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You know, naming a kid's a big deal. I hear kids uh, here right now, in fact. They all have names. They all have names that uh, their parents agonized over, you know, what, what should we name this child? And I think most parents probably think about certain things. Like they, they think about, you know, uh, do, have we ever known somebody that we liked or didn't like that had that name that we're considering? Or does it rhyme with something that kids at school could maybe make fun of them about, you know, some kind of a category like that? Uh, These sorts of things. So they agonize over them. Does it sound good with the last name? Does it have a nice ring to it? You know, like we had Kurt Hand right here in the third row. Think of his parents just agonizing. Kurt Hand. Kurt Hand. Kurt Hand. Does that sound nice to you? Does that sound good? That's exactly what they did, right? They, they picked well. They picked well. It's a big deal to name a child. And most of them give a child a name for the child's sake. But in this case, God, Mary and Joseph did not name this baby. God named this baby and he didn't name it uh, what he named it because him, because of what it rhymed with, or if he knew somebody else who had the name or whether he thought it would ever be abused because clearly his name is probably the most abused name that has ever been profaned is the name of Jesus. He gave him the name that he gave him for our sake. He named him Jesus so that we would know who he was and why he came. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's talk about what the name means. Name Jesus is the Greek and English version of an Old Testament name, uh, named Joshua or Yeshua. And it literally means Jehovah saves or shortened. It means savior. His name means savior. Now there's a nice summary, don't you think? Of who he is and why he came. He is Savior. I like that. I like that. I met a girl, a little girl last week here at church, and her name was Serenity. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Her name is Serenity. I mean, everybody likes to meet a Serenity. And I think everybody, I mean, who doesn't want to meet a Savior? We all... Would love to have a savior. But it really leads to the question, uh, okay, he's a savior. His name means savior. But, uh, like, who's he saving? And why do they need to be saved? What are we talking about here? Well, let's go on with the verse. You shall give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people. So, who did he come for to save? He came for his people. Who is that? Well, that would be us. He came for us. And we ought to be relieved by that, I think. I mean, he could have come to save the whales or to save the rainforest or something else. But he came for people. He came to save us. He came to save you. Which leads to the obvious question. I know somebody here um, is asking 
right now in their hearts, they're saying, well, if he came to save me, I'm a little confused because I don't know why I need to be saved. What is he saving me from? It's a pretty rational question to ask, I think. And we go right back to the verse and the angel says that he will save his people from their sin. Sin is a moral and spiritual reality. It is every day in our attitudes and our actions. It impacts our relationship with God and with other people and even the way that we look at ourselves in the mirror. Sin is what breaks those relationships. Sin is what has has brought about death in the world, is what the Bible tells us. Sin is, sin is the cause of this whole mess. And you might say, well, I don't think the world's in a mess. Read the paper. Read the paper. This world is in a mess. There are problems everywhere. And you might just not say, well, I don't know about the world around. Look around the dining table tomorrow on Christmas. If you have a perfect family and everybody there is happy and nobody's had any relational problems and everyone's marriage is great and all the kids are perfect and, you know, every child was, is very courteous with the other children, go ahead, open your present first. No, no, not me, you, you, you. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is, it is everywhere. We're just so used to it that we don't even notice it. But there are problems. And at the core of all of these problems is a broken relationship with our Creator. At the core of your problems, the Bible tells us, is a broken relationship with the one who made you for himself. And so this ache and longing that we have in our hearts, and I would have to believe that all of us do, there is some sense in all of us, isn't there, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be? This... These politicians these days, you know, the the weather these days, my health these days, the economy these days, things are not the way that they're supposed to be. We all have this sense, don't we, that that something's broken, something's not like it should be. And this, the Bible tells us, gives us an answer. Christianity answers this. Yes, it's not. And there is a reason. It once was the way it should be. We had a right relationship with God. Adam and Eve got along just fine. There were no problems in the world. But when sin entered into the picture, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, now you have disease and death and brokenness. And most of all, we have alienation from our Creator. Sin is the cause of it. Sin has brought all of this pain. So, what do we need? What does humanity need? And can I say this? What do you need today? We need somebody to come and to take away this thing that has caused all of these problems. And if there ever was somebody who could come and take away the cause of all of these problems, you know what? I would be comfortable with calling him a savior, wouldn't you? We are in need of a savior. His name is Savior. He came to do something about it. And that really is the question is, well, how did he do that exactly? What? How did... This baby do that. And this is the redemptive word. This baby became an adult. In the, in the Bible, and those that knew him tell us in history that his life was different than any other life that has ever been lived, far different than your and my life. He lived a morally and spiritually perfect life. 
He never transgressed against God's law. He never did the things that, that we do all the time. And his life was extraordinary. He healed the sick. He fed. He, he, he met needs. He taught. He loved. No one has ever loved and had compassion like Jesus Christ. And then the Bible tells us that in fulfillment of prophecy as well, he died on a Roman cross. But because he had never sinned, he did not die for his own sin. This allowed him and qualified him to die for our sin. And by doing that, as the Son of God, to take away the thing that has caused all of our problems in the first place. Now there is a way for these sins to be taken away through forgiveness. Now there is a way for the penalty of these sins to be taken away from our personal account. Jesus did that by dying in our place. He paid the penalty that our sins deserve. So that now in the world, there is a way for broken people and hateful people, sinning people, to get that out of our hearts and taken away so that we can once again have what we long for. And that is a right relationship with our Creator. And Jesus did that and was resurrected on the third day, conquering our greatest enemy, death. What a hope that brings. What a hope that brings. And after this resurrection, you know what he said to his disciples? Tell as many people as you possibly can. Which leads us to this Christmas Eve service, 2009, and you sitting here right now. We are merely doing what he told us to do. And that is to tell as many people as possible that there is a way. For the thing that is crushing and destroying you inwardly and outwardly to be taken away. And the one who did it is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He is Yeshua. And I want to ask you, is he your Yeshua? Is he your Jesus? Is he your Savior? Have you believed? That's what the Bible tells us is the, is the requirement is that I must, I must believe that Jesus is this and that he is the savior of the world and that he is my savior and now follow him with my life. And when I do that, now this broken sinful thing is taken away. Is he your savior this Christmas Eve? I would submit to you that if he is, it changes everything. It changes everything. And i got to tell this story very quickly, but I'm going to try. Two years ago, right now, I just almost exactly two years ago, I was in Israel, and I had an experience in Bethlehem. And I can't imagine how many people are in Bethlehem right now. It's probably packed out. But if you ever get to go there, the spot where they believe Jesus was born, there's a giant church that's been built over top of it. And, and, uh, so it doesn't look like the way that you think it's going to look. And so you get there and to, in order to get to the spot, you have to go and put that picture up. If you would, you have to go down this little, the stairwell, look how narrow that is. I can't imagine tonight, like the line to get into that spot right there. It's probably mile long and, and, and that's, uh, not Jesus in the upper corner. (laughs) That was not a sighting that we had. That would be me. Uh, standing there to get down into the, so you have to go descend down into this spot and there's a room down there and, and there's a spot that you look and you can spend a moment there and then you walk out the other side. So if you can visualize that with me. So I had gone down two years ago, I had gone down into that spot and then worked my way back up on the other side. I get to the other side and, and by the way, there's a huge altar like thing that's stage thing that's built over that spot. And I'm on the other side. I'm waiting for the others in our group to get through and 
I notice that there are some of the spiritual caretakers of the church that are there, and they are performing some kind of a religious ceremony. And they're burning incense, and they're doing, you know, chants or whatever they were doing. And I'm watching them as I'm waiting, and I see that there's like two of them, two or three of them, and they're all laughing. And they laughed, and they laughed, and they burned the incense, and they laughed. And you could tell there was something really hilarious that they were finding in, uh, in, in the whole matter. And I stood there, and I just thought to myself, there was an, ironi- uh, an, an irony to what I was seeing. Because here you have, in that moment, people on top laughing, smiling, giggling, carrying on. And down below, at the same time, you have people that are worshiping, weeping, crying. And that is a picture, I believe, of what this Christmas Eve will be all over the world. There really are two kinds of people when it comes to this. There are the kinds of people who uh, think the whole thing is sort of a joke and a nice time and a holiday and let's, uh, you know, let's uh, eat, drink, and be merry and just have, have a good old time and on we go with our life and that they think nothing of it, like the people, like the, the, the religious caretakers. But then there are other people who sense that there is something deeper about this whole thing. And there is a reverence, and there is a soberness. A joy for sure, but it is a serious joy that we can have. And the difference is, who do you think this child was? Who was he? Is it true? Is he the Savior of the world? And today, we want to have this service help you contemplate and hopefully come to the faith conclusion that he is who his name indicates that he is. That he is the Savior of the world. And by coming to that conclusion, for you to come to the faith conclusion in your own heart, that he is not just generally the Savior, but that he is my Savior. And we would call you here, what a, what a wonderful time, Christmas Eve, to put your faith in the one who came and died for your sins. May he be your Savior today. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Would you pray with me?